we have the normal first Sunday of the month lunch delay. And then I was slightly delayed because when I went to print my Sunday school lesson, I got this. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Uh, but I always send it to myself on my phone. So, <laughs> um, as long as my phone battery doesn't die, I think we'll be all right. Uh, well, good morning, everyone. Um, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to, um, we'll be looking uh, today at the last part of chapter 13 in the book of Acts, and then uh, chapter 14. So last week, we started in chapter 13, which narrates the beginning of Paul's first missionary journey. And, and we talked about last week, we looked a lot at the first few verses, which um, gave us a lot of information about this church at Antioch, that we talked about having a strong leadership, having um, a diverse makeup, um, having this, uh, this spirit of sending out um, and supporting this mission, laying hands on and commending Paul and Barnabas to God for this work of, of what the Spirit had called them to do. So then we looked at Paul and Barnabas after they left Antioch. They went to Cyprus um, and started on the eastern end of the island and ministered their way to the western side of the island. Um, where they got to preach the gospel um, before the Roman consul uh, or proconsul on the island. And they're opposed there, um, the, all the ironies we talked about last week, the irony that they're opposed by a Jewish magician, um, uh, someone who um, is of Jewish heritage but has adapted these magical practices and he is actively trying to turn the proconsul uh, uh, Sergio Paulus away from them. And meanwhile, this Gentile proconsul is um, is responding in faith to Paul and Barnabas's message. And it ended with that um, uh, you know dramatic moment where they caused uh, um, they prayed, and the man uh, was was cursed with blindness for a time, so it had some hope there. So after they ministered to Cyprus, they went north um, and headed uh, up to Pisidian Antioch. So they landed on the coast of what's modern-day Turkey and went to central Turkey and, and ministered to a second Antioch. And as we mentioned last week, there are 16 Antiochs in the ancient world. So um, this is the second one we've encountered. Um, and there we saw them um, continuing with this method of preaching the gospel first in the synagogues um, and then to the Gentiles. So they first go to the synagogue and they're asked to preach. And we see for the first time in Acts a lengthy address or sermon by Paul. And we talked about how it followed that trajectory of earlier sermons we saw connecting you know, here in this um, Jewish synagogue in the middle of Turkey, they start with the Old Testament story, God's covenant promises to the people of Israel, um, the coming of King David, and then connecting David to David's greater son. Um, David saw corruption, but Jesus Christ did not. And Paul presents the, the gospel through this you know, Old Testament story that leads into the work 
and message of Jesus Christ, who he says in verse um, 38 and 39 of chapter 13. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Um, and, you know, the response was, you know, Luke gives us in um, verse 42, as they went out, the people begged these things might be told to them the next Sabbath. So I'm going to pick our reading up um, in Acts chapter 13, verse 44. So we're going to start with that next Sabbath and then read through um, uh, chapter 14, and we'll see the kind of connection and theme that runs through these parts. So here now the word of God from Acts chapter 13, starting in 44. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirring up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their districts. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lycaonian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowd. 
But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went to Adalia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's ask him to bless it as we study it this morning. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the good news that you have proclaimed to us by your word, that you did not leave us in darkness, but gave us the light of the word, the living word, Jesus Christ, and the written, spoken word that allows us to encounter him here and now, thousands of years after he ascended into heaven. Lord God, we also are not left without an instructor. For you gave us your Holy Spirit and you gave us your church to minister the word to us, to proclaim the good news to us, to give us encouragement to endure and remain steadfast in the faith that you have called us to. Help us to be faithful. Help us to not just be hearers of the word, but doers as well. As we study this first mission of the church, the first intentional sending out of men to proclaim your gospel. Help us to see how we should faithfully proclaim your gospel, even in the midst of opposition and tribulation, even in, in the midst of uh, imminent death from those who oppose your word. Help us to be true. Help us to be wise. Help us to be full of your spirit and have joy in the good news of the new and eternal life that we have in Jesus Christ. In 
whose name we pray by the power of your spirit. Amen. All right, well, before we jump into what happens in chapter 14, let's, um, let's just review uh, the, this last part that we started with in chapter 13. So when we looked at the first half of, of chapter 13 last week, we saw this initial uh, widespread um, uh, acceptance of Paul and Barnabas' message. Um, you know, so much that as verse 42 says, the people begged them that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. But when we get to our passage, um, starting in verse 44, in the, that following Sabbath, they speak again. We see this passage end, and, and Paul and Barnabas shaking their, the dust off their feet at the city of Antioch. So, yeah, how do we get from week one, come talk to us again, to... Week two, get out of here. <laughs> what, what happens that leads to this uh, differing response to the people of Antioch? What happens in verse 45? Yeah, so we have, uh, again, this is like the third or fourth time in the book of Acts that that word has come up, that um, you have this proclamation of the good news, a case clearly made from the from the Old Testament scriptures that um, Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises to Israel, and yet the leaders um, of, of, of the Jewish synagogue reject that message, not because they believe it's false, but because it undercuts their power. Um, they're responding out of, of jealousy. Good, what else? So. Jealousy leads the opposition to arise. Yeah, absolutely. But earlier we saw jealousy when they see that the, you know, it's kind of similar to that earlier passage where they see that the crowds are listening to them. That, and, you know, and not listening, you know, they see that these men are proclaiming God's word with authority and power. They're jealous of that, um, that this, you know, that um, it's undercutting their position of power and authority in this community. But it's more than respecting the old way of Judaism, because notice there, um, in, uh, when the response is, they began to contradict what was saying was Paul reviling him. That word revile has the idea of spreading false, they're slandering him. Like, they're, they're going behind his back. They're not just countering the message with, no, that's false, this is truth. They're saying false things about Paul. So, um, so it's beyond just a simple, they're being faithful to Judaism. Because if they listen to Paul's message, you know, 
if they're being faithful and following the logic that he's presented from the Old Testament, like again, he's proclaiming from their scriptures um, the truth of what God has done, um, and their response isn't to go to the same scriptures and say, prove them false, you know, like we saw with uh, the case of Stephen, they spread false rumors about him and incite people against him. So they, rather than deal with the, the arguments or you know, the message, they go after the man, you know, this ad hominem attack. Yeah, and with that, like, you know, a similar kind of rapid going after the crowd to lead them to a different, like, yeah, so the one week, you know, you know, <laughs> Hosanna, <laughs> he in the name of the highest, uh, and then the next week, crucify him, crucify him. Um, and here, like, you know, one week, tell us more about this. Like they're hearing the word, they're responding to the word of God that's been proclaimed to them. They're gathered to hear the word of the Lord again. Um, but, you know, out of, of this jealousy, this slander arises against uh, Paul and Barnabas and they start going after people to turn the crowds against them. And notice the, the kind of chain of opposition. Um, you have Jews inciting devout women of high standing and leading men to drive Paul and Barnabas out of the district. Um, and, and part of the reason this might work, um, some people have argued that um, if you look at um, epigraphic evidence, like you know, um, writings about tomb, from tombstones and things like this, all this kind of information we get, like basic information about people, that Gentile women were in a much higher percentage of the God-fears attending Jewish synagogues. So they're not, um, converts are the open converts to Judaism are the same men and women, but there's a higher percentage of women just coming to hear the, the word proclaimed in Judaism. So, um, you know, some people have said that leads to you know, just access. They have access to these women, Gentile women of high standing that turn the city leaders against Paul and Barnabas. Um, but what a, a contrast. Like, week one, they're being invited back to speak. And, the, you know, after the next week, they're having to shake off the dust of their feet um, as Jesus had instructed his disciples when he sent them out two by two. Like, you know, if a city rejects you, shake off the dust of your feet um, as a, a witness against them and, and move on to the next city. Um, and they're following that pattern set by Christ in the gospel. Other things we want to say about them in Antioch before we, you, you'll notice a theme. <laughs> so initial receptance, um, opposition arises, 
and they end up um, leaving. Um, but notice, they're not discouraged by what's happening. Um, they're not, like, you know, um, depressed. They're filled with joy in the Holy Spirit, even though um, they, they just had gotten driven out of Iconium, or out of uh, Antioch, and have to go to Iconium. All right, so let's, uh, sorry, my phone keeps turning off. It's a problem, that's why I print things. Um, so uh, Luke here gives a very brief paragraph to describe their activities in Iconium. We have a long story of their work in Cyprus, a long story of their work in, in Antioch, and then just a short little story about what they're doing in Iconium. So how would you sum up Paul and Barnabas' ministry in Iconium. <laughs> in what way, ditto? Yeah, and notice the language in this one. So, again, their pattern, they show up, first thing they do is find a Jewish synagogue. Um, so they entered together, they go into the Jewish synagogue, and they spoke in such a way, I, I love, like, we don't have any idea what they spoke, but, you know, such a way, a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. So that initial widespread positive response to the message, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Um, and that language there, um, the word for unbelieving, um, its actual root is disobedient. Um, so you might have a translation that says the disobedient Jews. Um, you know, but what's the disobedience? They, they're disobeying God um, by not believing the message that God has sent to them. Um, so they're disobedient. Um, sometimes that word gets used of people in rebellion, um, so you know, disobedient, rebellious, unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds. I mean, what a graphic description that is of, again, it's um, they're, what they're doing um, isn't just, you know, faithfulness in, in defending their beliefs. Um, it has this element to it. You know, there's something insidious about it, at least in the language Luke is using to describe it, that they're, they're insidiously poisoning people's minds against the gospel. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it, we're not, I, I like how Luke narrates it. Like, he doesn't, in, in narrating in Antioch, he tells us people believe, but then he tells us they get kicked out, and he doesn't say anything about the believers who remain. Like, the focus is on Paul and Barnabas being driven out. Right, so he, he saves that all to the end. So, like, if you're reading it and not, you know, and stop at verse 20, you would think that this missionary journey was a failure. It accomplished nothing. These two guys got run out of every town they entered. <laughs> that, 
they tried to kill him at the last one. So, like, if you just read it on the face of it, they come, preach the gospel, there's an initial response, opposition arrives and drives them out. And, you know, that we don't, he doesn't tell us initially what happens with that great initial response. It's only later that, you know, here's these guys, they've gotten kicked out of all these cities, and then they turn around and go back to all of them. And why do they go back? Because just as you said, Rob, they're, they've left behind a vibrant community that they come back to appoint leadership and to encourage. But he doesn't tell us that, like, in, like, you know, it's like the Paul Harvey, the rest of the story. Like, he almost leaves it as a cliffhanger thinking, you could think, man, this missionary journey was ter terrible. <laughs> like, they failed. Um, but no, like, and then they go back. Um, that's a good question. Um, symbolically, like you're doing it as a sign that I'm leaving not of my, you know, like it's not my choice that I'm leaving. Like it's a sign that, right, it's a assigning responsibility to the people, you know, to the town is responsible for their leaving. So, yes. So it's kind of a symbolic gesture, like, you know, it's kind of like, you know, the way Pilate, like, I wash my hands of the whole thing. Like, all right, <laughs> I'm, I'm clean of this action. You, you know, it's on you. Yeah, Matthew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's this, and, and it's their intention to remain steadfast. Um, you know, they're resolute in what they're doing. Um, and I, again, like I love that, that transition verse of 52. They're filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Like, you know, they're, they've had to shake their dust off as they leave town, but they're not discouraged or despondent. People have poisoned their minds in Iconium, but they stay um, until, you know, things reach the point of, again, you have this escalation, like it's one thing to people poison people's minds, and then the next step is to incite those people to violence. Um, and so they stay until it gets to the point of violence, and then the wisdom you know, is to leave. But they're not leaving in a uh, cowardly fashion. I mean, it does use the word they fled, but um, they're, they're resolute in doing the work of God. And as Rob noted, like, they come back. Like, they, when they're going back to the Antioch that sent them out, um, they're not going the shortest route. Um, it's like, 
So let's say I, I've done this before just like in the course of moving my family around, particularly on Friday nights. Like let's say we're going to Wannick's house in Chelmsford for Bible study on a Friday night. My day might start in Lexington um, or uh, my afternoon. So I'm picking a child up. I'm going home to Maynard. I'm going west to catch the interstate to go up north to Chelmsford. Um, but my, let's say this particular evening, my ultimate destination is back in Lexington. Like the quickest route is to hop on Route 3 and go down Lexington. <laughs> um, and that would be their quickest route back to Antioch. They could go to Tarsus, and then Antioch is a straight shot. Like when they um, go to Derby, they're about halfway from um, Lystra to Tarsus. Um, but they don't keep pushing to Tarsus and then to Antioch. They go back. <laughs> Just like they make the big, wide sea circle back to, to, to visit all the churches they went. All these places that they've been driven out of. And again, like you could read it and sort of think, oh, this is, they're not accomplishing much. But, um, and they're not very successful because they're being driven from place to place. But it's the way the um, uh, opposition to the gospel is hand in hand with the reception of the gospel. And everywhere they go that they're opposed, the gospel is also being received with faith. Um, you know, there are two words that keep repeating throughout this chapter. Belief is one, opposition is the other. You know, you have this kind of divide. And I love how in this Iconium response, um, you know, it says... Um, you know, the people of the city were divided. Um, the word there for division is um, the root of our English word schism. Like, they're split, you know. <laughs> um, and that's the, you know, they're leaving behind this vibrant community of believers, but they're also um, encountering increasing opposition to their, their ministry as they go from place to place. Um, well, let's, uh, let's turn to Lystra. Um, so, you know, once again, as uh, Rob had said earlier, ditto. <laughs> they came, show up, people respond, opposition arises, uh, they leave. Um, so it's a, things are a little different with their ministry in Lystra. So what's different about um, what happens in, in Lystra? How is the, the story of Paul and Barnabas' work there, their ministry in Lystra, different. There's what? Okay, so it starts, at, and again, how is the, all the other missions in this, or accounts in this mission started? In the synagogue. So here, not starting in a synagogue, um, or at least we're not being told that it starts in a synagogue. It, but it starts with, with Paul um, you know, uh, he, Paul is speaking. We're not told where he's speaking, presumably some public space. And a, a man who is listening to him, um, you know, and again, Paul, seeing that he had faith to be made well, um, don't know if it's, you know, what the nature of his faith, but he, he believes that this guy um, has power enough 
to make him well. And Paul healed him. Um, seeing that he had faith, uh, and I, you know, Paul looking intently at him, like, you know, he's staring. <laughs> the uncomfortable, <laughs> piercing stare, like, you know, it's like when I'm leading a discussion with my students in class and I start looking around and, you know, all the heads go down. Like, <laughs> I'm going to look at you until you say something. Um, you know, and so he's looking at him and then he says in a loud voice, like, so when he's healing him, it's not just, you know, a private conversation between him and this man, lame from birth. Um, you know, he's doing it in a very public fashion. So this account starts with a healing, um, and you know it's the first major miracle we see Paul doing. So kind of important moment um, in that case. Uh, you know, first time we see Paul actively bringing about healing power by the power of God through the Holy Spirit. Good. What else is different about Lystra? So it starts with a healing, not in a synagogue. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you're right. It, it starts because they're, you know, they see something powerful is done. Clearly, a miraculous action has happened. I mean, it's very similar to that miraculous action that Peter does in the temple or at the gates of the temple, you know, um, earlier in the book. You know, it. this guy is lame from birth. He has never walked in his life. Everybody in the town who knows him knows he's never walked in his life. And now, suddenly, for the first time, this guy is standing up and walking around. So, clearly, something very powerful has taken place here. Like, there is no denying a powerful work has been done. And their response is to attribute it to God rather than to God. Yeah, that this is a much more pagan Gentile context. Like when we've seen Gentiles encountered prior on this, this ministry, initially the Gentiles they're encountering are those who are God-fearing Gentiles who are like sitting in on the synagogue too, you know, with the Jews, and they hear the message, and then it kind of spreads out from there. But this, you're absolutely right, it, they're ministering in a much more pagan Gentile context. Uh, Lystra, um, you get descriptions of it. Um, the, the nearest way I can, is, it's like the Old West. <laughs> like, it has this reputation for being a kind of lawless frontier place. Um, you know, a little bit of, like, you know, in our context, it's like the way the people in Massachusetts look down upon, you know, look down their noses at you know, somebody from Oklahoma or something like, you know. <laughs> You know, they're way out there, like, you know, a bunch of rubes, um, you know. Uh, so it's got a little bit of that reputation. Um, interestingly enough, this is where Timothy's from. 
Um, <laughs> so, uh, um, but but it, yeah, it, it has that reputation of of being a place. Um, oh, it's it's uh, who wrote Geographia? Anybody? Oh, I can't remember his name. But he has the description of of Iconia as being a place where the law is not respected. <laughs> um, it's this. <laughs> hmm? Nah, I, hold on. I wrote it down. I think. Um, eh, where's my description of Lystra? Um, no, I didn't write it down. I'll look it up in a second. Um, but but yeah, it's it, it's a much more expressively um, pagan Gentile context, which affects how the people respond to them. Um, and a lot of people have noted that if you look at Greco-Roman accounts of gods appearing, um, two elements that often are part of that, staring and saying things in a loud voice. And what does Paul do? He stares at the guy, <laughs> and he says something in a loud voice. So their response, to, like they've been kind of conditioned, the gods are among us. <laughs> and I love this idea Paul's the guy who's yapping all the time, so he must be Hermes. Um, Barnabas is the older guy, so he must be Zeus. So uh, Zeus and, and Hermes have appeared to us. Like, um, uh, it shapes the people's response. It also shapes the message that Paul gives to them. Like, you know, Notice in this sermon, he's not starting with the Old Testament. He's not even talking about Jesus. Um, you know, he has to convince them first that there's one true God, um, who alone is God, um, and then we'll deal with the identity of that triune God. But the first thing you know he has to to do in dealing with um, the people in this pagan Gentile context is to say, "You're worshiping false gods." Um, what you're doing is abhorrent to the one true God in whose name we've been able to do this action. The power is not ours. The power belongs to God. And, you know, notice they are, um, you know, expressively dramatic in this situation, tearing their clothes, um, you know, doing the things that a traditional Jewish man would do in response to, to blasphemy. And so, you know, um, like we, we saw a similar kind of this just a couple of chapters ago when, uh, you know, Herod speaks, oh, it's the voice of a god, and he gets it, takes it in his head, yeah. <laughs> you know, and you know, he gets killed for it. <laughs> um, here, they, you know, are, you know, the work of God is attributed to, to them, and they, you know, respond to the blasphemy that's been done and are zealous to defend the, um, the power and, and glory of God. Yeah, Matthew.
Yeah, that, that you know, and they use this as an opening to, you know, to proclaim. All right, you know, and they recognize, um, I, I love, and, you know, in past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Like, of course you're going to respond in this way, but you, you haven't, you don't have the revelation. Um, but, you know, with that contrast to um, the Jews who know that the lame are, are going to walk and leap. And the way that Luke used the word leaping to describe the miracle in Acts 4, like they should respond having had special revelation to the, the powerful work of God in their midst. They should have been prepped, and they have been prepped, but they're not responding in faith. These are people who haven't had Isaiah proclaimed to them. Um, they haven't had the special revelation of God and so they're responding in, uh, you know, the kind of natural idol-making response of the natural man, um, you know. And now they're giving special revelation to understand. The gospel is now being proclaimed to them, you know, that, you know, even though they have the witness of nature and they could determine some principles about God, um, now they have the truth proclaimed to them. And, and notice, like, it, it, it's a hard sell initially. I, again, I love Luke's choice of words. Even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifice to them. Yeah, yeah, we hear you. Let's just kill this bull for you. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but, but, yeah, this tremendous response to an obvious work of God that's misattributed to, you know, other deities or to these particular men, um, uh, you know, being equated with other deities, um, because that's they haven't had the benefit of, you know, hundreds of years of of ministry of God's word to them. Um, but that's not the case with the Jews. Yeah, Rob. <laughs> and he and it, and the way he tailors like you know he doesn't just respond to crowds in the same way like you know and and we'll see um a similar kind of um you know dealing with his pagan gentile audience when we get to chapter 17 and we find him in Athens like you know, the way that he's not telling the same story over and over again. Um, and, and we see that, like, you know, like the, the early sermons that we see of Peter and Stephen and then Paul's that we look like last week, yeah, they had certain themes, but it wasn't the exact same message, and they were tailoring the message to a specific point of emphasis at, you know, who they're preaching to at this moment. And here, like, he, you know, we can't start with who Jesus is until we establish first that there's one God. <laughs> um, you know, he's not just another person to stick in your pantheon. There, no, the pantheon is empty of deity. There is one true God. Um, and that's what he, you know, he wants to emphasize in this response. Um, 
And then notice, you know, uh, so you have, like, the people ready to sacrifice and, and fall down on their faces and worship them. And then Jews come from Antioch and Iconium and have a persuaded crowd. They stone Paul and drag him out of the city, supposing that he's dead. Like, <laughs> um, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Luke doesn't get into that. He just tells us that outsiders, and notice in a very similar way to what, you know, there are a lot of parallels between what they're doing and what Saul had done earlier in the book. Like, he's pursuing Christians. Like, you know, give me letters so I can go track Christians down in Damascus. And they're doing the same thing. Like, they're hounding them from city to city. Yeah, I would say, I mean, some of it is going to be um, the insider-outsider. Like, you know, you know, here are two guys from far, far away, and even though they came and did something obviously powerful, you know, these other people who are, you know, as we saw in Antioch, are connected to the elite leaders of the town. Like, they're connected to the existing power structure, you know, that they're voice is going to carry more than the voice of an outsider. That some of that might be going on. Um, it, and, you know, what's really sh striking, though, is he doesn't go, Luke doesn't go into the details. Like, um, and as, as, he, as he, you know, um, talks about Paul, like, they go back to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch and there are believers there. So it's not a complete um, persuading of everybody that Paul is a charlatan and it's false. It's persuading enough people to, to take violent action against them. Like, you don't have to win everybody. You have to win enough people to form a lynch mob um, and to drag them out of the town. Like, um, you know, uh, it, it doesn't take an entire community to do what happens here. Um, and we know, again, um, to, to go back to like the point uh, Linda was talking about earlier with, like when they're shaking dust off at the feet, like is it the whole town? Is it some people in the town? Because we know that there are now believers in this town. Um, we know that even though they're taking Paul out and stoning them, there is a believing community in Lystra that is, is going to be there and they go back to 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 visit it, and and I, you know, he rose up and entered the city on the next day. Can you imagine, like, the <laughs> people who had stoned him, like, the, hey, wait, <laughs> the zombie movie was right. No. Um, yeah, like you know, this like these people just dragged him out or stoned him and dragged him out of the city as dead. And he walks back in the next day. <laughs> um, you know, um, you know, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city. Like, yeah, they think he's dead, and then he walks back in. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It, yeah, because you would think, all right, and, and again, like, you know, I, I've never been in the, the, the position of where somebody has um, acclaimed me as a god, but, you know, I study early American history, and there's plenty of descriptions of, you know, Europeans showing up with all kinds of new technology and things that people have never seen before, and people are in awe of them. And those people who, you know, those Europeans, <laughs> you know, they, like, fall to the temptation of, you know, <laughs> self-elevation. Paul and Barnabas don't follow that temptation. They go out of their way to disabuse the, the people of this notion. Um, and so it's not their enemies that come in and sort of, you know, they're not really gods. You know, they're doing it. But, um, but you could also, like, in thinking, like, how does this make sense? You could also imagine, like, the people are still unsure about who they are. So, you know, maybe these other people come in, and again, with, uh, you know, the words they've been using, slander, poisoning minds, they're pretty skilled at, you know, coming up with some kind of alternative messaging, um, you know, again, to, to think by the Gospels and how the Jews, Jewish leaders responded to Jesus' words. It's God Beelzebub who cast out demons, like, you know, attributing their power to something else that, um, you know, uh, maybe, again, I, I don't want to be too uh, slanderous of people of Lystra, but, like, the word rude. <laughs> comes up a lot when thinking about Lystra. Like, Paul and Barnabas don't take advantage of the fact that these people are not sophisticated intellectuals who, you know, they don't play on that fact. Um, but maybe these people falling down, you know, who are falling around do. Like, you know, they're, Paul and Barnabas are doing the right thing. You know, they're not taking advantage of these, these acclamations or, get, you know, to, to augment their own authority. They're giving all credit to God, but maybe other people are coming in and doing that. Again, Luke doesn't go into that. Um, you know, he goes into, again, our pattern is, res you know, initial response, opposition comes in, and then, you know, some kind of persecution ends up driving Paul and Barnabas out. But in the midst of that story, a church is being created that remains. Um, you know, a church is being placed there steadfast despite, you know, these opponents coming in and spreading these things.
Yeah, and and that consistency in emphasizing, you know, exactly what you're saying, that unbelief isn't a passive response. Like, you know, you know, yeah, I can take it or leave it. It's it's active resistance. It's active rebellion. It's active disobedience to the word of God, to the message that's been claimed. It's active repulsion of the truth. And they they, um, you know. Uh, in the verse where it says, you know, they're, they're thrusting the truth away from him. Since you thrust it aside, like, you know, and, and when Paul's response to it, what are you doing? You're thrusting the truth aside, uh, the word of God aside, and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Like, here we're coming with this message of eternal life, and we're saying, you know, it is for you and for the Gentiles alike, and you judge yourself unworthy of that message, and you, you, you know, you throw it away. Like you know, you're it, again. It's a, it's active. It's not just they're sitting there passive. You know, the words go over their head. Like it's an active rejection. Lack of faith isn't a passive act. It's a you know, as you said, selfishly clinging to the gods you already have. Uh, actively looking for any other alternate explanation that helps you um, or gives you an excuse to not respond to the truth. Um, all right, well, uh, we're over time a little bit. Sorry about that. Um, well, uh, next week we'll cover, like, Paul, Paul and Barnabas getting back to Antioch and Syria and then turn to Jerusalem. And the connection between these is they come back to, to Antioch, um, and they declare what God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and then that will lead into this council in Jerusalem whose main topic is how do we treat Gentiles in the church? Um, the, the presence of Gentiles in the Christian community is going to be the subject. So, you know, it, these kind of issues result from the ministry that Paul and Barnabas have done on this first missionary journey. All right, bless us. Gracious God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the, the gift of faith that you've given us, um, that you um, gave us um, an appointment to eternal life, um, even as we see people in this text respond. Um, and we ask that you would help us to remain steadfast and help us to cling to your words of truth even in the face of opposition um, and even uh, for our brothers and sisters that we pray for every week who face acts of violence, persecution. Um, fill them with your spirit. Help them um, view the things, uh, eternal things, more than the things of this world. Help them uh, view faithfulness to God as more to be esteemed than the well-being and well-regard uh, of other men. Help us now, even as we uh, fellowship with one another. Help us uh, rejoice in the bond that we have in Jesus Christ that unites us to him by the power of your spirit. And help us to respond uh, in great joy as we worship you in the coming hours. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.